Matthew chapter 7 is where we find ourselves again this morning, and um, we'll be focusing in on primarily on one verse, uh, but we'll be looking at some of the verses preceding, leading up to verse 12. So we find ourselves Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and I invite you uh, to make sure you have a copy of God's word or some way in which you can follow along uh, as I read and as I preach this morning. Jesus, there in the Sermon on the Mount, he said these words. He said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let me ask you a question as we begin. It's a simple question. I want you in your mind and in your heart to think about your answer. How do you want to be treated? How do you want to be treated? Maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, I want people to be kind to me. Right? Don't you want people to be kind to you? Maybe you're thinking, well, I want people to be truthful to me. Right? I want people to speak the truth in a loving way, but speak it to me. I want people to be fair with me, don't we? We want people to, to operate within their business dealings with us and in other experiences in life with fairness. Or what about gentleness? Right? Do you want other people to treat you with gentleness? How about with patience? Are you appreciative when people are patient with you? Is that a way that you want others to treat you? A few other descriptions that, come to my, that came to my mind were, I want people to treat me with love in a loving way. Or respectably. Right? I want there to be some respect there. That I want people to treat me in a respectable way. Now, simply put, I think we can all say that when we consider how other people are, are treating us, I think most of us would say, if, if you were to kind of sum it up in one simple, easy word, you would say, I want people to just be good to me. I want this, there to be an overarching theme of goodness. Right? People don't have to be extravagant toward me. They don't have to be over the top. They don't have to necessarily act toward me in a flattering way. Just, I'd just be nice if people were just good to me. And underneath that overarching theme hang all of these other descriptions that we just considered. Well, this morning, we're looking here at verse 12 that many of us are familiar with. Because we know it as what kind of rule? The what? The, the golden rule, right? On Friday night, we had the students over, and we had lots of fun playing some water games outside, and we had a devotional time, and I gave them a little bit of a sneak peek of this sermon, and, and I, asked the, I asked the group, I said, Does anyone, is anyone familiar with the golden rule? And it didn't take long, and Jackson raised his hand, and it wasn't word for word in the Greek or anything like that, but he was close enough. 
he had a general idea of what the golden rule is. And so this is a verse that is familiar to us. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're even watching, and you had no idea until just now that that was, even, that was actually a Bible verse, <laughs> right? Sometimes we use it around, we throw it around in, in ways that it, maybe it's just almost maybe even a, a saying that you might find in a fortune cookie at the Chinese restaurant. So it's biblical. It's what Jesus has instructed us. So many of us were familiar with this golden rule, as we often refer to it as. We're familiar with with what it says and what we should do, but a lot of us are not familiar with the context of it. We we use the golden rule. We we think about it. We we tend to use it almost in an argument against other people when maybe we've not been treated like we want them to treat us. But we forget the context of the golden rule. Because actually the context of the golden rule is, as we find it there, uh, Bill did such a great job preaching last Sunday on the verses leading up to it there in verse 7. And I'll go ahead and, and read what kind of, the, the first part of the sermon is going to be, be like the runway leading up to the golden rule here. So we're going to be uh, taxiing down this runway for a little bit, gaining speed hopefully little by little. But I want us to understand that actually the golden rule is the life application of the verses that precede it. So if it's the life application of the verses that precede it, then maybe it's a good idea for us to get a little bit of an idea of what those verses tell us and dig a little deeper even. So let's look there at verse 7. Again, Bill did a great job preaching this last, last week. We see that Jesus is instructing us and he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who, receive, who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. And then Jesus says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then here's the golden rule. So, all right, that that word is, that transitional word, that word so, is almost in some translations, maybe in your copy of the the Bible, it might say therefore, right? In other words, here's, here's the life application. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, so Bill, Bill taught us last week the importance to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. And that God's response then to that is goodness, right? Bill even used the phrase, he said, God has no other option but to do good to us. God, God he has no other recourse. There's, there's no other, right? There's no multiple choice. Jesus always is, is acting in goodness toward his people. Now, we might not understand it at the time as goodness because oftentimes we, we, we define or we think of God's goodness based upon our circumstances or based upon our desires or, or maybe what we had hoped to happen. I think a lot of us have had the experience of of looking back over the course of our lives and we have seen the good hand of God at work even in those situations where at the time 
we were confused or frustrated with what maybe seemed to be the silence from God or an unwillingness of God to move on our behalf, right? During the time we can't exactly see, we don't understand it as God's goodness. But then isn't it true so oftentimes then, then over time you look back and you realize that, oh, wait a second, God was indeed working and that God was indeed orchestrating the circumstances and, and the events that God was doing so in such a way that was indeed for our good, that God indeed was and continues to act toward us in goodness. It's hard when you're in the middle of it, isn't it? And I even think as I look over the congregation here, in some of our minds and in some of our hearts, we're tempted to question that, aren't we? Because life is hard. Life is difficult. And what we would view as tragedies do happen. And when we're in the midst of that, it's hard to believe and to understand that God is good. And it's in those moments that we have to hold on to promises where Jesus says he is good. And where Jesus tells us here that God knows how to give good gifts to his children. Right? Even when we as his children aren't necessarily praying for that good gift, right? He's, he's a good father because he knows what we need and he doesn't always give us what we want, right? If, if, if you're a parent and you never give your children vegetables and you always give them uh, candy bars, uh, that, that's what your child might always want, but it's not necessarily what your child needs. And so the good parent who's being good to their child, even though the child might not see it in the heat of the moment, the good parent gives their children vegetables, right? Even when they want the candy bar. And again, I don't mean to, to downplay any circumstances. That's such a very simple illustration, especially if your heart is very heavy today. But we have to hold on to those promises. And we have to keep asking, and we have to keep seeking, and we have to keep knocking, as Bill reminded us. And maybe you've been doing so for weeks or months or even years and there doesn't seem to be any movement from God and the promise that we have to hold on to in these seasons is right here that God is good and that God only acts in ways that are good. And it's during these difficult seasons that we have to ask the Lord that maybe our prayer should be, Lord, help me to trust in you and to believe that you are good to me even when I don't understand. Maybe that's where we need to start. Because then we get here to verse 12. Because now we find ourselves here at verse 12 that we, that we look at as, at the golden rule where, where the, uh, uh, again, the runway leading up to it is Jesus telling us, asking and seeking and knocking, and that in that response, God will give us his goodness to us. And, and so that's really the theme that is taking us into this understanding of, of the golden rule. We cannot separate the golden rule from God's goodness to us. Because if we separate the golden rule from God's goodness to us, we'll be trying to live out the golden rule in our own strength, 
in our own power from resources that eventually will run dry. You will never be able to live out the golden rule if you don't understand God's goodness to you. In fact, one of the overarching themes of how God is described in Scripture is that he's a good God. And this is where our, our big idea, just go ahead and write this down, all right? This is the big idea, is that God's goodness should motivate us and our goodness to others. Ultimately, that's, that's what we want. We want other people to be good to us. And the reason that we can respond with goodness is because God has first been good to each and every one of us here. And so it is, throughout the Bible, one of those primary themes of how God is, is described is that he is, a, is he is a good God. And some of these verses might even be familiar to, me, to you. Let me just uh, have, a, have a quick review of, of just a few of the many verses. It might be a helpful exercise for you to do a word study on God's goodness. And to allow that, and to just to sit and meditate on the goodness of God. When you're failing to remember, when you're failing to believe it's true. But here's just a few verses that you might even consider. This one we all know, right? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a verse that so many of us are familiar with, and that's a promise that we have to hold on to. Another one that honestly just blows me away is there in Exodus 33, verses 18 through 19. You might remember that when, G, when, when Moses, rather, when Moses is saying like, Lord, can I just have a glimpse of you? Can I, can I see what you look like, God? And, and of course, it can't happen without Moses dying flat on his face there. And so what does, what does God say? Here's what Moses said. I, I pray thee, Lord, show me thy glory. And here's God's response. I myself will make all my what? All my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I show compassion. God says, here, you, you want to get a glimpse of me? I will allow my goodness to pass before you. Another one then is, the psalmist in Psalm 31 says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. God has a store of goodness that he is just constantly giving out to us. Again, in the Psalms, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? For he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Or what about this one in the 33rd Psalm? The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Oh, that we would ask the Lord to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand how good he is to us. That God indeed has stored up his goodness. That that is a wellspring that never, ever runs dry. That God's response, even in his discipline toward us, even in that discipline, when we have gone, when we've tried to, 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 to pave our own way 
And God is bringing us back into his righteousness. Even in that, God is a good God. Over and over, there's a wellspring of goodness that never runs dry. This earlier in January, my family, Marin and I, for our children, and for Marin and myself too, we purchased um, season passes to Kentucky Kingdom, right? Can get it up for, for, for uh, season passes at Kentucky Kingdom. We used some Christmas money, and we went and did a little bit of a splurge, and they were having like a, a blowout sale. You could buy these season passes for almost the cost of one entrance fee or so, maybe just a few bucks more than that. And, uh, and we didn't tell the children in just a week or so ago, believe it or not. So we kind of been holding that in our back pocket. You want to conserve those, those little gifts, use them appropriately. And, and so we, we shared with the children that we had bought season passes. It's like, yeah, we're getting back from vacation, but this vacation just keeps going. And it's the gift that never ends, right, that keeps on giving. And so we bought these season passes for them, and the children were excited. But then they were super excited. You wonder why the children were even more excited, right? It's one thing to go on roller coasters. It's one thing to have access to that lazy river all summer long. But you want to know what really put them over the top? Was this right here. This is the never-ending access to the soda fountain at Holiday World. Right? Okay, can I get a witness? Right, amen? I mean, that's gotten the biggest response all morning long. Soda. Here we are. So, so we have never-ending access to the soda fountain. Right? I mean, like you would pay like probably 10 or 20 bucks if you're just a normal person going to Kentucky Kingdom. But since we have season passes, we have never-ending access to the soda and so the children, you know, I mean, we look like pack mules. I mean, we, we strap these things on, on, on one backpack, and we're hauling up and down the aisles of K- Kentucky Kingdom with these things. And then, of course, so, so we just, it's like if, if the children separate and if some of the ch- kids want to go ride this and we want to ride this, we say, okay, we'll meet you back. And you know where our meeting point is, is at the soda fountain so we can get a refill. And then again, before we load up in the car at closing time, what does everyone want to do? Let's fill up our soda because it's never ending. And who cares if they're all going to wet the bed later that night? We've got our free soda. But it's never ending. Like typically at our house, if we get pizza and if we have a two liter of pizza and we get a two liter of soda, two liter of pizza would be gross. <laughs> Want some pizza? <laughs> but when we have pizza at our house and we get a two liter of pop, Right? We have to conserve it. Right? That's when fist fights start. Because someone got more, more soda than someone else, and that's when we got, get out like the, the ruler. Like, oh, you got more than me. Because there's a limited supply. But, but when we have access to the never-ending, it's like drink up. Oh, you want a sip of mine? Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Oh, you got that, that concoction of mix? Oh, wow, you got, well, yeah. So, so it's like, oh, you want to you try some of mine? Go ahead. It's like, here, have as much as you want. Why? Because we have the never-ending supply of soda. Maybe you've connected the points already here. Jesus in our asking, our seeking, and our knocking, we go to him with confidence knowing that God is going to respond in his goodness. Why? Because the Bible tells us 
that God is good and the earth is full of his goodness and that there's a wellspring of his goodness that never runs dry and that that goodness is given to us. And because that goodness is given to us, then what can we do to others? Give it away. We can, we can give it away freely because his goodness is not in short supply. Because I can just take my cup and go back to the fountain and say, I'd like a refill now. And so Jesus then says, because we have a God who answers our prayers in goodness, therefore, so in everything, how should we treat others with his goodness? In the way that we experience God treating us in the way that we would hope others would treat us as well. But we, we are told, be good to others. Be a conduit of God's goodness to every person you meet. See, we learn that the golden rule is the life application of Jesus' promise made to us, that the, that the goodness of God will govern his actions toward us, and if the goodness of God governs his actions toward us, then his goodness also should govern our actions toward others. We call it the golden rule. I thought about changing the title to the goodness rule but I thought that might confuse you, so we just stayed with the golden rule, all right? But in your mind, be thinking in those, in those terms. It's the, gold, it's the goodness rule because it's directly tied to God's goodness. And so that way, I can be good to other people regardless of how they respond to me. I made several observations. I've got four observations, and, and it's right here taken from... Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. You might want to jot these down if you enjoy taking notes and want to refer to them later. Fairly simple observations, and the first one is this, is that the golden rule applies in all situations. Did you see what Jesus said? He said, so, or therefore, therefore in everything. In everything. We, we see first how this standard applies in all situations, there is no single situation that is exempt from this guiding truth. Now, right now, you're thinking in your mind, oh, but Michael, you, you don't understand this situation I'm dealing with right now. No, it applies there too. Because Jesus says, so in everything. It's our duty to respond to others according to God's goodness toward us. So think about that text message that you want to send. Is that a display of God's goodness? Is that the type of text message you would want someone sending to you? Or consider the gossip, that juicy gossip that maybe you heard about someone else, right? Oh man, is it good. Is that how you would want others to display goodness to you? Is that a display of God's goodness to them? What about that shortcut, shortcut in the job that you know you're getting away with? If, you're, if you were the employer, is that how you would want your employees to work? 
Students, what about the jokes that you make about the classmate behind their back? If they were to hear the jokes, would they get a glimpse of God's goodness? Is that a joke that you would want to be told about you? Or maybe it's the demanding tone that you use toward others, parents, in the heat of the moment, in the frustration of the moment to your children. Is that the tone of voice you want others to use toward you? Through that tone, do they hear the good voice of a loving father, of a loving heavenly father? Or the people that were hesitant to, to invite over for dinner. Would I want to be invited over for dinner? Would I want to experience that goodness? Or would I prefer never being invited over for dinner? I think we understand the answer, right? See, what we, we understand is Jesus helps us to see that the golden rule applies in all situations. There's no excuse clause here. There's not a single situation wherein this rule does not apply. And honestly, this is a great benefit to us because what it does is is this replaces the need of having hundreds of rules to follow that relate to all situations of life, which, which helps us to see there at the end of verse 12 when Jesus says, for this sums up the law and the prophets, right? You think back to the Old Testament and the 600 plus rules and regulations that they had to follow for all of these different situations. Jesus says, let's just sum it all up. Let's distill it all up here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you and how flexible that is. In every situation of life. Well, then we also go on in another observation is that the golden rule is positively proactive. The golden rule is positively proactive. Now, it's true that during this time when Jesus presented the golden rule, there, in fact, there were other historians have, have noted that there were other religions that had similar rules that they followed by. But those rules often were presented in a negative light. In other words, they would, some of those, uh, some Jewish rabbis, in fact, is recorded as, as sharing, giving this rule that what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. Right? It, it was presented in a, in a negative view. But what Jesus does is he twists it and he turns it in such a way to present it to us in a positive way And not only in a positive way, but in a proactive way. Theologian Don Carson says that Jesus gives us the positive form of this rule. And and the difference between the two forms, how some religions viewed it, and how Jesus presents presents it, the difference is, is quite profound. Right? You think about the negative form... It would be like, if you do not enjoy being robbed, don't rob others. If you don't like being clubbed over the head, don't club other people over the head, right? I mean, we understand the negative presentation of that. But Jesus flips it and he gives it to us in a positive light, in a proactive way. In other words, what this instruction teaches us 
is that we should always be on the lookout for opportunities to do good toward others, and it helps us to know how to act in those situations we find ourselves in each and every day. So it says, look for opportunities. Don't wait for the negative to happen to you and choose not to respond in a negative way, but instead it says, open your eyes and see the opportunities to be proactive in a positive way. And as well, you know what the golden rule does is it actually it pushes you deeper into community life. It pushes you deeper into relationships with other people. Because it, by instructing us to be positively proactive toward other people, we, we quickly learn that you can't live this out in isolation. You just can't. Right? How can I, how can I do good to other people if all I'm doing is staying by myself all the time. To live this out, you have to consider other people and their situations. And the way in which you learn other people's situations is by spending time with them and by getting to know them. To know the needs of others and the ways that you can be positively proactive, you've got to be involved. You have to be spending time with people. Then the third observation is this, is that the golden rule is not dependent on the recipient's response. The golden rule is not dependent on the recipient's response. Okay, so the instruction given to us here is not a magic formula, is it? This is not an attempt, this is not manipulation to try to get the other person to do good to us. Right? The final expectation of this command is simply placed on you to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but never does there, is there a guarantee that they will respond in favor. In fact, if you'll remember, Jesus actually promises us just the opposite way back a number of weeks ago when we talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said these words, blessed are those who, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. He goes on and he says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we should not live the golden rule out expecting the other person to return the favor. Now, how many of you struggle with that right there? Don't we, right? We live this out in full expectation that they will respond accordingly. But here's what happens. When they don't respond accordingly, you get bitter, don't you? You get frustrated toward the other person. You get upset. Maybe you even start keeping score. Now, yeah, okay, maybe not on, on paper. Maybe not, may, I mean, I'm sure there's an app out there someplace, right? A, a relationship scorekeeper, right? I mean, nothing helps you make friends and influence people better, right, than uh, keeping score. 
maybe, maybe we don't do that physically, but in our minds, don't we do that sometimes? But that's not the golden rule. That's not a display of God's goodness to us, is it? We need to stop keeping score or running a balance sheet in our relationships. Jesus is instructing us for active benevolence toward others, regardless of how they respond. Why? Because that's how God has treated us. That, do, you, do you really think you deserve God's goodness? To drive the point home, I'll just say, oh, sinner. <laughs> do you really think you deserve it? The sin that we've caused committed before a holy God. And yet we can go back to that wellspring of his goodness. Time and time and time again. The earth is full, the psalmist said, of his goodness. And if the earth is full of his goodness and it never ends, then we are then able to continually be that conduit, be that pipeline of God's goodness to others. Then the fourth point, you get an extra bonus point here because I was gone for a few weeks. Ultimately, the golden rule displays God's goodness in the gospel. God's goodness is displayed through his son Jesus dying on the cross. Michael already quoted the verse that while we were yet sinners, God sent Jesus to die for you and for me. And if you're ever troubled in believing that God is a good God, look to the cross. If you ever struggle to believe that God does work goodness through tragedy, look to the cross. There is no greater display of how God uses what the world would consider to be tragedy, tragedy of all tragedies, of the Son of God hanging there on the cross, but how through that God brought goodness to those who would receive it. The golden rule flows out of the gospel. And so if that's true, and if, that's, if Jesus is living in me, then I should be offering this good toward others regardless. I should be offering good towards others, not, in, not having false motives in mind, But that should just be the overflow of God's goodness because he's a good father to us. Hmm. While we were gone, okay, so my sermon illustration folder was able to exponentially grow by being gone for a few weeks. So here's the first one you all will get. While we were gone on this wonderful adventure, uh, it was, the, it was the Monday of the last week. And I asked the Lord to help me get through this. Um, 
we were in Del Norte, Colorado, which is a small little village that I had never heard of and many of you have probably never heard of either. And for good reason. There's not a whole lot there. But it's beautiful. I shouldn't have said that. There is a lot there. Um, the Rio Grande River runs right beside it. And so we had spent the morning there at a park. Uh, not, not a very special park, just a normal average run-of-the-mill city, small little city park. Um, but we heard there was a river there. And so we had been incredibly unsuccessful in our fishing attempts up to this point. And so we thought maybe this we would finally be successful in our fishing endeavors. And so we uh, parked at this park. We actually had breakfast there. And uh, we got out our fishing poles. And I think four of the kids or so were with me. And we went and kind of trudged into, this, into the river, the Rio Grande River. And we tried our hand again at fishing. And uh, so we're, we were... Um, Casting, no success. I mean, what we were successful at is we lost a whole lot of lures in, in those rivers. All right, we, we donated to uh, Sam Walton and Walmart and buying these cheap lures, and they were completely unsuccessful. And I'm sure it wasn't the lure. I'm sure it was the fisherman. There's a sermon there, too. Uh, but, but we were unsuccessful yet again. And we just had three poles. I think there were four of the kids were fishing. I didn't buy a license, so I was just helping them fish. And... Uh, so uh, we had three poles, and so three of the kids had a pole. And, of course, little Merritt Man, who is incredibly uh, creative. Um, this isn't even the sad part of, this, of the illustration. <laughs> so, again, I asked the Lord, I said, help me get through this. I shouldn't be, maybe I shouldn't be sharing it. Uh, so Merritt had made, he had gotten into the tackle box, and he had made his own fishing pole. And so uh, with, with the fake bait that had been cut in half, and that might explain why we weren't, weren't that successful too, uh, because our bait was kind of cheap too. Uh, so this is the fishing pole, and so we were all walking back. We, it was lunchtime. Marin called us uh, to the picnic table, and so we all kind of got out of the water and were carrying our, our poles back, and Merritt had his pole. Three of us had nice poles. Merritt had his. And along the way, we met a gentleman who had a bag of pistachios, and so immediately I'm, I'm like, you're my friend, you know, how? and he had a bag of pistachios, and he's just walking uh, to the park, and he's just, and so we greeted him, you know, we just said hello, and he asked us if we had any luck, and we said no, he said, well, if you use this lure, and if you use this bait, he said, you should have some success, and great, you know, I appreciated that, and then we, we continued uh, to go back to lunch. And he went to eat his pistachios. I'm struggling saying that uh, this morning. And so he went, and he was just taking a break. He was just a local guy, right? Lived there close by. So we're sitting, and we're eating our lunch. And uh, all of a sudden, that gentleman, who we had met ever so briefly, is walking toward our table um, with a fishing pole. And... um, like, I see him walking across the, the, the park yard with his fishing pole, and it has a big lure on the bottom. And in my mind, I'm thinking, uh, he's coming over to show us, here's what the lure looks like. And uh, so he brings it over to our table, and we greet him, and he said, uh, now, which one of you had the homemade fishing pole? <laughs> And Merritt kind of sheepishly raised his hand, and he said, here. 
And he gave us this really nice fishing pole. Catch this. Here's what he said. As he's handing it to Mary, and again, we hadn't, our conversation had been so limited up to this point. Here's what he said. He, didn't, he doesn't know us. He said, the Lord gave this to me. So I'm giving it to you. So we got his name. We even got a picture of him. I don't know if you can see that there. That's Don. He lives in the house right back there, just outside the park of Del Norte, Colorado. 74 years old. That morning, he had been working on his fishing boat. He was, he was devising a way in which he could steer his fishing boat by turning his fishing seat. <laughs> he said he put a pulley on it and attached it with a belt. And he said if he turned this way, his boat would turn that way. And if he turned this way, his boat would turn. He, he was devising that. Just my type, my type of person, honestly. You know, he was dirty and... He told us about what he'd done for a career, how he had loaded out logs and how he was doing it again to help a company out and told us about how the beetles had taken out all the trees in the area and we invited him to sit down and eat our ramen noodles with us, but he had, well, he had already had his pistachios, so he was full, I guess. And then at the end, he said this. He said, well, he said, I know it's Monday and I know you're just passing through he said, but if you're still in the area uh, next week, he said, I'd like to invite you to my church. He said, I'd like to invite you to Gateway Baptist Church. And he said, we'd love to have you. And, you know, Marin and I, I think at that moment, we're just about in stitches probably. Kind of like now. But Marin and I looked at each other and we thought, that's it. Don gets it. Don gets it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Motivated by the goodness of God. Here, the Lord gave me this. He has no idea who we are. He's proactive, isn't he? He's positively proactive. He sees a need. A, a young boy who has this makeshift fishing pole. And he says, I can step into that with God's goodness. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Lord, what, what, are, what are you calling me to do? What have, what have you given me? God, give me the eyes to be able to see the needs. To step in. And to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Because God has already done it. And it's a wellspring that does not run dry. Because my goodness toward others is not motivated. I don't have to somehow conjure it up. I just have to look back at my heavenly father. I just have to look at the cross and say, he's already been good. So Lord, teach me to do the same. Oh, that God's goodness 
would motivate us in our goodness to others. It's the golden rule, but really, it is the goodness rule. Would you pray with me? Father, it is good to be able to gather as your people. God, we are, um, we are here as undeserving people, and yet you still have poured your goodness out to us. Father, I pray for those who maybe are in a season right now where we are struggling to believe that you are good. And so, Lord, I pray that pray for that person, those people, that they would hold fast to your promises, that they would believe it. And, Lord, that there might be a time where they would be able to look back and to be, be able to acknowledge your goodness. Father, I pray for us and here, for all of us here today, God, that your word now would, um, would echo in the chambers of our hearts, and yet, Lord, that uh, would not just simply start at our hearts, but, God, that it would move to our hands, that it would move into action. God, help us to be a people who are filled with good works because of your goodness for us. Because that's what you've done for us. I pray for your blessing on Don. I pray for your blessing on his church, Gateway Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for your blessing on his pastor there. What a fortunate man, what a fortunate congregation to have people like Don, a part of that body. And God, we are a fortunate congregation here to have so many here who do good and desire to do good. So God, help us to do it more and more, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.